I said this at the outset, but my name is Jeremy and I am the campus pastor here, which just means that most weeks I get to be with you. Thank you so much, Kevin. Most weeks I get to be with you and hang out with you and talk out of God's word with you. And, uh, and I love it. It's, it's an honor. It's a privilege. Um, we shot some video, I think, this past week of some of our Mount Perrin kids, and I thought this would be good to show uh, just to kind of set up where we're headed today. I am thankful for the whole world. I'm thankful for my mother and father. I'm thankful for my brother. I am thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful for my mom. I am thankful for that I'm not getting a boo-boo. Aren't we all thankful for not getting a boo-boo, right? When I was a kid... We used to spend Thanksgiving with um, both of my sets of grandparents, my mom's, par- uh, my mom's parents and family, my dad's parents, family there, aunts, uncles, cousins. And at my dad's house, um, my, my dad's parents' house, when we were together, we would uh, do this kind of Thanksgiving ritual. Maybe you have something similar in your family or maybe it's something different, but uh, just you know, a tradition that you have. And this, is, this was the tradition at that house. We would eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat some more. And then my grandmother would put a little more food on everybody's plate to make sure that we were full. But we would eat and eat and eat. And then when we got done with that, my grandmother would hand everyone a little candle. Right? And then we would start with my grandfather. He was the oldest in the room. We would start with him and she would light his candle and he would talk about what he was thankful for. He would say, you know, I'm thankful for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I'm thankful for my wife, Judy, and he'd start naming his kids, and he'd talk about his grandchildren, and he'd be thankful for something special maybe that happened that year. I remember the year he retired. He he was thankful that he retired, and that God had given him good health to that point, and that he could enjoy his retirement with his wife and his kids. Then he would get done, and he would take his candle that was lit, And my grandmother's candle, which was unlit, and he would light her candle, and then it was her turn to talk. And she always cried, every time. And she would just thank God for all the things that she was thankful for. It usually centered around God, and then her husband, and her children, and her grandchildren. And she would just kind of work through the whole list. Then she would pass it to the next person, and we would go all the way around the table. Now... When I was younger, you know, I was at the kids table and we were kind of, we were allowed to participate, but it was okay if we were running around and doing different things. And, but you know, when you got older, you're kind of stuck in the middle of the adult table. You're wedged in between like the China cabinet and the piano bench. You can't get out. You're just stuck. Right. And so you, we, we, we had like this growing family. My dad has, has a couple siblings and then they have their kids and, and it just, you know, it was a lot of folks. And so the longer people would talk and, you know, I don't know how your family is. My competitive nature comes from this side of the family. So once somebody cried, now it was the point of everybody in the room to try to make everybody else cry. Right. So you had to say something really just kind of that evoked emotion and tears. And, and it, you know, it was, it was really great. Go all the way around the room, all the way around the table. And so kind of bred in me from this very early age was that we would pause And thank God and be thankful for the things that were going on in our lives. 
And it wasn't about possessions. I, I, I very rarely remember anybody mentioning, you know, their cars or their house or, you know, their new golf club or anything like that. It always centered around usually God and then the people in the room, maybe other people in their lives. But it, it really did kind of create in me, hopefully it did, this idea of thankfulness. But my parents were great at this. I mean, I remember as a really, really young child, like no matter what happened, no matter what somebody did, you know, my parents would quickly say, thank you. Make sure you say, I don't even know what I was saying. Thank you for, I just said, thank you for whatever it was that they did. And now I I catch myself doing that to my kids. The last couple of days, you know, it seems like I have said that to, you know, Cooper or Branson, some of my kids, two, two of our four kids. And they've said, no, 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 they already, they already said thank you. And I'm like, yes, they get it. They're doing it, right? Because I want my kids to be thankful. You know, we're coming into this week of Thanksgiving. We're coming into this week where we, we do pause and reflect. You know, school's out. For most of us, we, we get a day or two or a couple of days off work maybe just to, to be with family and friends and to pause and reflect. But my hope is that Thanksgiving and thankfulness is not just a one day a year, one time a year, you know, moment where we do this. But we really have this heart of Thanksgiving, We really have this life of thankfulness and gratitude for the things that God has given to us. And so today I wanted just to kind of look at a story that I felt like helped us to see a few things out of God's word that helped show us thanksgiving and thankfulness. And and unapologetically, I'm an Old Testament story guy. If I have a choice, if I have my ability to pick anything from Scripture, I'm, I'm going to naturally gravitate towards the Old Testament because I love those narratives. I love those stories. And one of the stories that takes up a huge portion of the early parts of the Old Testament is the children of Israel, God's chosen people. There, there's this promise that God gives to Abraham early in, chap- in, in Genesis. And we see that that promise is then fulfilled and begins to be carried out. And then we see that God's people go into captivity in Egypt And then out of that comes this struggle to get them out of captivity. And and God working through Moses sends plagues on the Egyptians. And then we see that they're they're set free and they walk across on dry land as the waters are rolled back. And then they get across on dry land. And then the waters come back together and swallows up their enemies. And then they go out into the desert. And then after they're in the desert for a number of years, they eventually make it to the promised land that God has given to Abraham About 400 years before, it wasn't one of those things where God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you a people and I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to make you a great nation. And then next Thursday, it all comes to pass. We're talking about more than 400 years for that people to get to the land that God had promised to good old father Abraham. And so I want us just to kind of walk through a portion of this story today, because I think that when we look at this story, we can see that all of us have things to be thankful for. And this is kind of the, the big idea for the whole day. So as we, as we walk through this story, I want you just to keep this in mind, okay? Being thankful requires us to be aware. I'm going to say it again because some of you just had a heart attack when my mic popped. I apologize. Being thankful requires us to be aware. And we'll talk a little more about what that might look like. And uh, the first thing that I want us to look at today is that thankful, we, we can be thankful that God brought us out of our past. We can be thankful that God brought us out of our past. In Exodus chapter 16 and verse 6, this is what it says. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, 
In the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. Now, I just told you that really short, you know, 15 second summary of this story. But what's happening here is that the people of God, the children of Israel are in the middle of a desert. They're in the middle of the desert. They're between Egypt, which was where they had been. They've come out of Egypt, but they're not yet to the promised land. They're actually just a couple of months into their journey out of Egypt. They're just a few days at this point. And so they're coming out of captivity and they begin to grumble and complain about not having food and getting hungry and thirsty. And so they've been complaining to Moses and Aaron who, who God's been speaking through and working through to kind of bring them to this place in the journey. And so Moses and Aaron are about to unveil for them the plan of God. And then it says, Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. Now what was Egypt? More than a country, a nation, it was a place of bondage for the the children of Israel, for the people of God. This people that God had promised to Abraham, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a people and a land and a purpose. I'm, I'm going to write a story through your heritage. Now, in this portion of the story, God's people have been in captivity. They've been in bondage in, in, in Egypt. So the people of God have been under subjection to a pagan ungodly as it relates to Jehovah God. They had plenty of gods, but Jehovah God, who we were singing about and worshiping today, they were under subjection to a people who believed in other gods that did not believe in Jehovah God. So this season of their story, they were not like the winning team. They weren't on, you know, their, their circumstances seemed to um, say, okay, there's some things that are going on here and you're not winning. You're not number one. You're actually in bondage under captivity, serving other people. And if you read that story, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You say, man, I thought, you know, I thought God wins. I thought the story was about, hey, we're, we're, God's the most powerful God. And so, but here his people are who are, you know, the story, even how they got there was God ordained and how God worked through, you know, Joseph and, and, and got them to that place. And, and the Pharaoh that rose up didn't know about Joseph or his people. And so now they're under captivity, under subjection. But guess what? They didn't stay there forever. They did stay there for a couple hundred years. But eventually God orchestrates a way out for them out of this captivity and and the plagues come. And Moses, working as as an instrument of God, goes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh agrees finally to set the people free. They do walk across on dry land. They come out and then they come into the desert. And so now as they're in the desert, Egypt is behind them. Egypt is their past. Egypt's not their present reality any longer. It's their past. And see, I don't know what your past is. You know, as I was preparing for this and thinking through this and and kind of praying through it and reading this text, and I don't know what your past is. I don't know what your story is at all. Unless I know a little piece that you've kind of given to me, I'm not sure what it is that your past really means to you. I don't know if it's a part of some type of lying or cheating or some cover-up of of something that you're, you're too afraid to let people know about. I don't know if it was just a sense of purposeless, uh, purposelessness. I, I have no idea, but you do. Now, he, here's the tension in this. When I grew up in church, I, I grew up in a, in a really great youth group with a really great youth pastor. But here is kind of how his sermons went. No matter what he was preaching on, it always gravitated back to the time in his life when he was strung out on drugs, far away from God, woke up naked in a ditch, and God delivered him, right? Awesome story. Incredible power of God, right? That's not my story. I've never been naked in a ditch, right? That I know of. I, I don't, I, I'm not sure. 
And so when he would tell those stories, I used to think, man, no, yeah, unbelievably shows the power of God in his life to deliver and save. And man, if that was my past, I would have something to totally be thankful for. Maybe that's not your story. Maybe your story is, is a little, little, little more mild. Maybe it's just that you, you weren't living for God, kind of living on your own, doing your own thing. Maybe it was just that you, you just struggled to find purpose in life. Maybe you struggled relationally. But before God, your past was not what your present reality is, right? And so as we look back today, the idea is that we have something to be thankful for. It's the fact that God brought us out of that. That that's no longer our present reality. Whether, it, whether your story is closer to naked in a ditch guy... Or, or not naked in a ditch, like fully clothed all the time, just away from God. No matter what your story is, you can be thankful today. Because God does not leave you in your past. God is more powerful than your past. The second thing that I think we have to understand today, or that we get to understand as, as we look to thankfulness, is that we can be thankful that there's more to come. We can be thankful that there's more to come. The second part of Exodus chapter 16, verse 35. There's a a full verse here. We're going to go back to it in just a minute. But the second part of that says that they ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. Now, let me catch you up. Earlier, we saw that Moses and Aaron were were talking to the children of Israel and saying to them, hey, you know, you're going to find out here in just a little bit about the power of God, God, the God that brought you out of Egypt. He's about to show up. And here's what God did for the children of Israel. They said, hey, we're starving to death. They said, hey, listen, we are um, we're hungry. We don't understand why God brought us here. If we were going to starve, why didn't he just leave us there? And so then God tells Moses and Aaron and gives them specific instructions to tell the people of Israel, here's what you're going to do to eat. I'm going to send manna in the mornings. When you wake up, you walk out of your tent, hut, villa, whatever it is you're living in, you walk out, there'll be manna on the ground. Manna is this bread-like wafer, seed, consistency, bread that they could eat. He said, for six days a week, what I want you to, five days a week, what I want you to do is walk out and get enough just for that day for you and your family. Don't try to get too, too much. Just get what you need for that day to eat. Trust God that t- tomorrow God's going to show up again and send manna. And so they do that. He says, now on the sixth day, what I want you to do is walk out on that sixth day and get enough for the sixth day and the seventh day so that you don't have to work on the Sabbath to to, to pick up food for your family. Walk out on the sixth day, keep it, and and you can eat leftovers on day seven, and it'll be totally great. If you try to get leftovers on day two, three, four, anywhere in there, it's going to spoil overnight. But miraculously, you get enough for two days on day six, it's going to be fine. Again, showing the faithfulness, the provision of God, the faithfulness of God here. And so they they do that. And so what we read here at the end of Exodus 16 is that they ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. Now, what was Canaan? Canaan was the promised land that was out in front of them. They've come out of Egypt, which was their past. They're now in the desert and they're moving towards Canaan. They're moving towards the promised land, the land that God had, had foretold to their, to their, to their, her- their forefathers uh, that said, hey, to Abraham and, and all the way down the line. That's where you're pointed. That's where you're going. I'm giving you the land. Right. And so they're, they're out of captivity. They're out of their past. But now they understand there's more to come. And so we understand here the truth and the principle of this is that God sustained them all the way until they got to the promised land. Now, I just told you a minute ago, I don't know your past. Guess what? I, I don't know your future either. 
The great thing is neither do you. You don't know your future. None of us know what's out in front of us. We're not, we're not assured tomorrow. We don't know what's coming in the days after this moment right now. We don't know what's coming an hour from now. Two hours from now. Five hours from now. We have no idea, right? All that we can rest on is the promises of God. All that we can rest on is the assurance that God is faithful and God is good. And he has promised to us that we do have a future in him. That we do have hope for our future. And so we, we just live in that. We live in the faithfulness of God. We can be thankful because there is more to come. And you know, for some people, if some of the children of Israel that came out of captivity in Egypt... If they're anything like me and some of my friends, they might have gotten out of captivity, gotten across, found out that the enemies were not chasing them anymore and been like, okay, we're good. Let's stop here. This is the promised land. We're free. We're no longer slaves. Nobody's chasing us. We're good to go. Let's stay here, right? But the promise was that this was not it. It was the land out in front of them. You know, the pilgrims, we're going to celebrate that. My kids in school have been, you know, telling this story. We went to their program on Friday and, and, and watch them tell this story of the pilgrims. You know, the pilgrims came to this new land. They came to America. And they got here and they landed. And if you understand anything about history, the reason that the, the northeast of our country has so much history and heritage and there's so many things that were birthed there is because they got to the land and, and many of them just stopped right there. It's like they got off the boat, they took two steps and built a house right there. They just built a log cabin. This is where we will live, Right? But then there is a, there's another group of people that said, no, if, if, if there's land here, we, we just came over, we got here, I wonder what's out there. And they kept moving, pursuing, settling further and further and further west and continue to see what else was out there. I'm a, I'm a political junkie. I love politics. It's, it's a vice. I'm trying to get over it. But uh, when I was a kid, I wanted to run for president. I think my grandmother still holds out hope that, that I will at some point, but I, I love politics. One of the ways that I get my political fix is by watching a show called West Wing. I don't know if anybody's ever seen this show. It came on like late 90s, early 2000s. It came on NBC. They show some reruns from time to time on Bravo. If you have Amazon Instant Prime video, just a commercial here, you can watch those seasons for free. So I watch that from time to time to get my political fix, right? Several months ago, I started back at the pilot episode, episode one, season one, working my way through the seasons again. I love it. it it's just the, the interaction, the dialogue of the West Wing of the White House, the interaction with Capitol Hill, Congress, Senate, House of Representatives. I love it. There is a character in that show. His name is Sam Seaborn. He's played by the actor Rob Lowe. Sam is the deputy communications director in the White House there. Jed Bartlett is the name of the president, if you're wondering. Sam is the deputy communications director, and he is interacting with a lady who's talking to him as Sam is trying to defend why they're going to spend money in the space program to go to Mars. They're saying, hey, we want to go to Mars, and, and she's asking, why do we need to go to Mars? We've, we've already been to space, we've landed on the moon, I don't understand it. And he has this incredible quote, and, and I wrote it down because I'm a political dork. This, this is what he says to her in a fake show, not about real politics. This is what he said, and it just lit my fire. She says, why do we need to go to Mars? This is what he said. Because it's next. Because we came out of the cave and we looked over the hill and we saw fire. And we crossed the ocean and we pioneered the west and we took to the sky. The history of man is hung on a timeline of exploration. And this is what's next. Now, 
no matter how you feel about space exploration and the billions of dollars that we spend to go out there and just fly around in circles for a while, like no matter where you land on that, there is no denying that there is this innate part of man that is supposed to be pursuing something forward, moving forward. My, my fear for many of us is that we get stuck here in our present reality, in the present circumstances of our daily lives, and we get stuck there, but a relationship with God is always moving forward. Last week in, your, in the worship guide, when you came in, one of, our, one of our announcements talked about our next steps, talked about the tent that we refer to for many of our announcements, the blue tent on your way out. And we don't, we don't tell you about that, and we don't try to create just things to keep you busy. We really do believe that there are things that you need to be engaged in and taking steps in to continue to grow. Now, not all of those things are found in the church. We understand that. But as a church, as a part of the community of faith that we are and that we have here, we want to constantly help you in taking those next steps. My biggest fear for, for me and for you is that we ever get to a place where we think our relationship with God is done. We think we've learned enough, we know enough, we know how to serve him, we know what to believe, we know what he said, we know what the Bible says, and so we just kind of hang right here. I'm good, I've got it. That is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. So we constantly want to be moving forward, and we understand through the story of the children of Israel that there is something in front of us. There is a promised land. So you can be thankful that God brought you out of your past, or you can be thankful that there is something for you to look forward to, but no matter what you do, you understand that, the present reality today, what's going on in my life today is not all there is. That if I ever get stuck here, think this is all there is, I'm missing a huge portion of the story. That God has given us a promise. He's given us a hope to continue to move forward. And I don't know what your future is. I don't know what that specifically looks like for you other than the very specific things that God has spelled out for all of us. But you can be thankful that God brought you out of your past. And you can be thankful that there's more to come. Really being thankful is just being aware of that. And the third thing that we're going to look at this morning is that you can be thankful for provision in the process. You can be thankful for provision in the process. The whole verse 35 of Exodus 16 says this. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. Some scholars, when they look at this desert season of the children of Israel between Egypt and Canaan, look at it as a place of discipline. That God was disciplining his people. Now, a lot of us kind of, we don't really like the idea of God disciplining us or disciplining his people. But when we look to coaches and, and, and teachers and we look to employers, we understand that there is a natural part of that relationship that requires discipline sometimes. We affirm that in people when we see that they've, they've disciplined someone. And, and, and discipline is defined as causing or inflicting pain for a redemptive purpose. Not just to cause or inflict pain, but to do so for a redemptive purpose. Purpose And there's a lot of people that, that view this desert experience, this wilderness experience between Egypt and Canaan as some type of discipline for God because he definitely was doing something to redeem them. He had brought them out of captivity. They were slaves. Their mindset was slaves. That They were used to serving people. And he needed to create in them a spirit that says, when you get there, you're not supposed to subject yourself to the people that you're going to interact with. You're supposed to take the land. The land's yours. You get there. You take it. You don't... You don't 
submit yourself in slavehood to those you come in contact with. So he, had to, he did have to redeem some things in them. But I choose not to look at this as some type of discipline experience. I look at it as a transformation in them. That the desert in the children of Israel was a place of preparation. They were, God was preparing them for what was to come. What we just talked about. It was a place of preparation. I've said it this way for for a number of years. That God in the desert had to get the Egypt out of his people. The Egyptian mindset that says, hey, we are slaves and, and we look to others to provide for us. God had to create in them an understanding that he was their provider. Not some master to, the, to them being slaves, but that God was their provider. And so he had to show them, hey, I will provide for you. We just read that in verse 35 that God provided manna. So they're complaining to Moses, complaining to Aaron. Hey, we have nothing to eat. We're hungry. We're thirsty. What are you going to do about it? And so they say, hey, listen, you're about to see the power of God. And so God sends manna in the morning and quail at night for them to eat. And the promise here, the incredible summary of this is that he gave them manna for 40 years. Six days a week for 40 years. Now, when some of you hear that, you think, oh, wow, that's a lot of seedy wafer-like bread for breakfast and lunch. That, that's, that's not really what I'm signing up for here. But we just talked about them moving towards the promised land. And the promised land was a place that is defined in, in at least two places in Scripture as a place where milk and honey flow that the, the spies that went into the land and reported back to them said, listen, when you get in there, there, there there's fruit and vegetation that you cannot imagine. They, they put some of that on poles and carried it back and it took a couple of them to get it back to camp when they came out of the promised land. Let me ask you this. This is a rhetorical question. I don't even know if God meant this, but this is the way Jeremy works, okay? How much better do you think milk and honey tasted after 40 years of manna? You and I look at, at our present circumstances and we say, yeah, but, you know, look at them. I wish I had what they have. You know, I wish my house looked like that. I wish I had this car. I wish, you know, what I wish there was more money in the bank account. I wish and I get that seeing what others have and, and looking at that with with longing. And, oh, man, I wish that's not a sin. A sin is I got to have that. I don't care what I got to do. Get them out of the way. Cheat, cut corners. I'm getting that no matter what. But, but looking at that and saying, oh man, I wish I had that. I wish that, That's not sinful, right? But the idea is that there's something we can be thankful for. In our present reality, there is something about that reality that if we look to our, ourselves, we look to our hands, we see what God has given to us. Again, it's just being thankful just requires us to be aware if, we're, if our eyes are on other people and what they have and what they do and, and what they spend and where they go and the trips they take, if, if that's where our eyes are, we're focusing on the wrong things. We've got to be aware of what God is providing to us. What did they have to do to eat every day? They have to work for it? No. Walk out and scoop it up right there. Six days a week, 40 years time, God provided for them. You and I don't normally like seasons of preparation. We don't normally tend to gravitate to moments and days and times and seasons where we know 
Today may not be the end result. We're preparing for something else. I think about football. I watch football. I'm a big sports guy. I think about the plays that were run yesterday in those college football games and the plays that will be run today. Those plays, they're not just scratching it out in the dirt in the huddle, right? There were hours and hours and hours of preparation in the hot sun of the spring and summer so that now when it's cold, they can throw the pass to the back corner of the end zone and they know the receiver is going to be right there to catch it. There was a season of preparation that ends in a payoff. And you and I, we look for the payoff, but sometimes we're not willing to be in the preparation. I just have three quick examples here, and there are hundreds more, but some of these are my favorite characters in all of Scripture. If David had not been a shepherd, he would not have been prepared for Goliath. How do I know that? Because God's Word tells me that when he was a shepherd, watching his father's sheep, he learned how to use his slingshot to fight off the enemies that were trying to steal the sheep. And when he stands before Goliath, he picks up five smooth stones. He only needed one because he was a good shot. And he kills the enemy of the people of God because of his days of preparation as a shepherd. If Peter, this one's one that will stretch you a little bit, but I fully believe this. If Peter had not denied Christ, I don't know that he's prepared on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 to stand and boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, where scripture accounts that 3,000 were added to the church in one day. Why? Because Peter was always the first to volunteer. But he was usually out of line in in how he was going about it. But on the day of Pentecost, he stood with a boldness. He stood with a purpose. With a clear conviction of what that day was about. That I don't know that he possessed prior to one of his greatest moments of indiscretion. If Joshua of the Old Testament had not served Moses and been one of the spies and seen the land and done all the things that were a part of that season when he was not the guy. Moses was the guy. But if Joshua hadn't been willing to serve Moses, I don't know that he would have been prepared when God raised him to leadership and when he was actually the one to lead God's people into the promised land. I don't know what your future is, but it could be that the things that you're involved in today are setting you up for your tomorrow so that when you get to that moment and you need to know how to use a slingshot, you know because of your days with the sheep. It could be that when you get to a moment where you need to tell an incredible story, you're able to do so out of a part of your past, a part you're not proud of, a part that you wish was not really your story. And I, when, when the master really needed me, I wasn't there. But I want to tell you this incredible news about grace. I want to tell you this incredible story about my Savior. I, I, I don't know what your future holds. I don't know what it is that God needs you to do tomorrow. But when I read God's word, I understand that many times what he does is he takes our todays to craft in us and create in us and develop in us the skills and the heart and the narrative needed for tomorrow. You can be thankful for God's provision 
in the process. And I wrote this down. I really typed this out and I bolded it and I underlined it. And if I could highlight it and scribble and scratch it out. This is what, this is what I think that you have to really ask yourself. Do you trust that God knows what he's doing when you don't understand what he's doing? I mean, do you trust that God knows what he's doing when you don't understand what he's doing? Because see, trust, it, it kind of evicts complaint in us. We trust God as long as it seems to connect from point A to point B. In our minds. But if the shortest distance between two points is a straight line and we get a, the slightest bit squirrely off that line, we go, okay, God, where'd you go? This is not what I signed up for. I don't see how you're working this out. And I'm out. I'm done. I'm going to do this my own way. I've figured it out. Here's how you connect the dots. Here's how you get from here to there. You get from Egypt to Canaan in a couple days walk, not 40 years. Except that God needed to develop some things in them. He needed to mature them. He needed to grow their trust in him. He needed to purge them a little. And guess what he did all along that way? He provided for them. Six days a week so that they could eat seven days a week. For 40 years, they never wanted for food. Because God says, this is a process. And to make sure that you make it through the process, I'm going to provide what you need so that you can get there. I brought you out of your past. I'm pointing you toward your future. And during the in-between, I'm going to walk with you and provide. And you and I can be thankful for that. You and I can be thankful that even though I don't know your past, God does. That God brought you out of that, no matter what it was. Even though I don't know your future and neither do you, God does. And he knows exactly what you'll need when you get there. And so in the interim, he's providing for you. Yeah, maybe you don't have what they have, whoever they are. Maybe you can't do all the things you long to do in this moment. Maybe this is not the specific story that you would have written for yourself. But do you trust that God knows what he's doing when you don't understand what he's doing? Can you be thankful in today? Can you be thankful? I say yes. I say that all of us have something to be thankful for today. I say that we don't have to wait till Thursday to wait until the person beside us lights our candle To say, thank you, God. Thank you for you, God. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for my wife and thank you for my kids. And thank you for my nieces and nephews and my cousins and my grandparents. And thank you for my job and thank you for financial. We don't have to wait till Thursday. You can do that today. And hopefully what it develops in in us. Is a heart. And a, and, a, and a mindset of gratitude. Thankfulness. It says, God, thank you for what you did. And thank you for what you're going to do. 
and thank you for today. Let's pray. God, I pray today that though maybe there wasn't a lot of new and profound truth in this, maybe there wasn't a whole lot that we've never heard before. I know for me, just the preparation of this message was stirring, convicting. It was challenging to me just to to say, am I I really thankful? Do I acknowledge the work of God in my past? Do I acknowledge what God has already done for me? Do I pause and reflect and thank God for who He was to me then? That maybe it wasn't waters rolled back so that I could walk across on dry land, but maybe it was a sense of purpose that He gave to me. Maybe what we've already prayed, maybe it was an identity found in him when I realized I didn't have to work for his love. Maybe it wasn't the miraculous waters or the plagues, but it was the miraculous salvation available to me through the miraculous work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But Lord, today we just pause and say thank you for what you did for us. Maybe I should pause, God, and and thank you that there's more to come. That my present circumstances, my present reality, the fallenness of this world, the place where we turn on the news and see wars and financial destruction, where we see people that are deceiving others and and hurting others and killing others. Maybe when we look to our present reality where we've been hurt and people have deceived us, we understand that your story doesn't end today. That you have promised us a hope and a future. You've given to us a reality to understand that there is more to come in relationship with you. And so God, we just pause and say thank you for our tomorrows. Thank you for an understanding that you hold our tomorrows. You desire to use those tomorrows. But God, we have a future in you. And God, maybe the hardest one for some of us is that we pause and thank you for today. That we thank you for your provision during this season of process. It doesn't imply that everything's wrong. We could have a great life. We might have money in the bank and we might have healthy, uh, a healthy spouse and healthy kids. That's great. So we pause and thank you for that. Maybe our present reality isn't so rosy. Maybe there's sickness or health issues in our family or in ourselves. Maybe there's financial needs. Maybe there's, there's job loss. Maybe there's uncertainty about something going on. But God, today we pause to thank you that you are our provider. Because God, all of us have something to be thankful for. And when we ever get stuck, when we ever look and can't find something to thank you for, would we just be more aware of what you've done, what you will do, what you're doing now. I pray today, God, that we would be people of thanksgiving. That we wouldn't wait to just one day a year that, God, our lives would cry out to you the thanks and adoration that you deserve for all that you've done in our lives.
We thank you for that, God. In Jesus' name, amen.